Support for Sponsor Talk and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Welcome to the Sponsor Talk Podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways and how brands interact with properties in sports, arts, film, music, you name it. I'm today's co-host, Jason Smith. You can follow me at SponsorshipJ on Twitter or on LinkedIn to keep engaged with our Sponsor Talk community. Hopefully today you learn something new about the industry and challenges you to keep thinking differently. All right, I'd like to introduce Mike Polisi, president of Van Wagner College. Thanks, Mike, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. Good to be with you. Yeah, great to great to have you on. Um, you know, I reached out to Mike a few weeks ago, um, just super impressed with his career and, and his expertise and sponsorship. And I thought a lot of our listeners would be able to, to gain a lot of, lot of value. So thanks for coming on. I, th- I think uh, we'll uh, kind of walk through your career and kind of what, how you got to where you're at today with Van Wagner. And then we'll just talk shop a little bit about sponsorship and kind of your thoughts about the future of sponsorship and, and all of that. But why don't you tell, tell everyone about um, where you're from growing up, maybe an interesting story about yourself. Just, yeah, to sure. give listeners a little bit of background of your, uh, your uh, hometown upbringing. I, I will try to make it as interesting as possible. Um, grew up in a, and still live not only in the same town, but on the same street. In the on the Jersey Shore, it, it's Bruce Springsteen's Jersey Shore, not Snooky's. Um, yeah, same street. Wow. Wow. So Point Pleasant Beach, New Jersey. Um, great, great little town, vacation town, boardwalk town. Um, sleepy in the in the off season. You know, very very small. But when when the summer is here, with the rides and the bars and and the beach, you know, just a wonderful place. Wonderful place to grow up. My dad was the principal of the elementary school and. My mom was a teacher in the next town, and I ended up marrying the daughter of uh, of my math teacher, and who was the basketball coach in town. So, uh, it's been it's been pretty cool to not only grow up in a in a community that that still cares, um, but then to be able to raise my kids in that same community was was really neat. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And and did you play any sports growing up? At all? I did. I was not only did I play, but I had the the. Um, the, the insane notion that the five foot nine hundred and fifty five pound defensive end could find a home at Purdue University on their team. So I played football growing up, um, walked into the Purdue offices. You know, the, the coach quickly looked me up and down and asked me if I could kick. But uh, my my passion was there. The DNA wasn't. So I grew and I grew up with with two sisters uh, who were both you know athletes. And my, my brother was an athlete at Dartmouth. So we're very, very, you know, athletic, a passionate family about athletics. Unfortunately, like I said, I was, I was, uh, grew up with the heart of a linebacker and the body of a kicker. That's so funny. I can, I can just imagine you walk in, there's this defensive lineman, tough guy. They're like, it's almost like, it's almost like offensive saying that. It's like, hey, can you kick the ball? There's no, with a little smirk on his face. And, and, And the best part, he said to me, he goes, well, listen, this is before roster limits. Yeah. So he said, you're, you're more than welcome. Let me let me tell you about your career. You will be a glorified tackling dummy. You will never you will never uh, miss a practice. And I can promise you this in four years, you will never. And let me repeat, you will never, ever run out of the tunnel on a Saturday afternoon. So that's when I decided to become the president of a fraternity. See, and then you got I can just hear it in the background like Rudy. Rude. <laughs> yeah. That's like everything they told him, right? You know, that was it. That was it. <laughs> uh, Purdue, Purdue, fairly close to uh, Notre Dame, but um, so Purdue, <laughs> Purdue University. What I mean, why did you decide to walk into the offices of Purdue and and yeah. and choose that university over over others? You know, you, you'll uh, a common theme in my life has been is networks and people that you trust and believe in and who care about you. So. We had a phenomenal high school physics teacher who was a proud Purdue alum, 
yeah. uh, who used to promote it to, uh, to, to everybody. And one of my sisters, who was a year ahead of me, went to Purdue and I went to visit her. And uh, like any mature 17 year old, had a fun weekend and said, this is Big Ten football. I can hang out over here. I can go to a wonderful campus. And, and so that's it was that simple. There was nothing um, deeper than that. But interesting point, I went to a high school with a total of 500 students. At one point, there were nine of us oh, at Purdue University. Wow. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy. Yeah, that's that's awesome. No, that's yeah. great. And did you study? What did you what did you study at Purdue? What was your? Boy, that, that is an open ended question. Um, how, what how often did, what, how what often the degree said? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the degree said um, communications and psychology and a business minor. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, but it was. But I, you know what? It, it kind of helped me fall in love even more with with big time sports um as you know if you know if you grow up in, in new jersey and new york and that, that area is pro markets primarily although the folks at rutgers have done a great job of trying to switch that mentality but that's what you grow up on and and to have gone there and see big 10 football and basketball and see the excitement of it um it really kind of i never at that point in time thought there was careers there especially when the coach kicked me out of his office but um but i but i i quickly learned that that there were opportunities to to have a career in that industry well it's kind of interesting i mean communication psychology you know with a minor in business and and just looking at your career over the time and we'll kind of step through your career here but you know the psychology around like building a business um you know leading teams and and some of those things i'm sure that emphasis helped in the, there's, in that way. there's no question. There's no, and, and I think even more and more today, right? I, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a little bit older, so you know, was kind of raised where whatever you were told, you did, um, yeah. and you manage everyone the same. Yep. And and we know now that that's not that's not the most effective way to create the kind of culture that you want that you can thrive in. So there's yeah. no question that it helped. Yeah. Great. And what? And did you have any, um, you know, in your your, your next, your first job out of college was with Rutgers, but did you have any internships at Purdue that kind of helped lead you to that, that next job or? I did. About that? Yeah. Well, funny story. Um, I'm old enough that back in the day when you'd go to your advisor, you would flip through the book of internships because they were all listed in a book. <laughs> um, and there was one for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to work in the public relations office. And that was the first time I actually ever thought of, that there could potentially be a possibility. But I also learned back in the day too, right? When sports internships paid no money, yeah. they wanted to hire someone. The, the person hiring went to Purdue. He wanted a Purdue person, but somebody from Florida because we don't pay. Yeah. So I called my dad that night and said, you know, I never thought about working in sports. And what I did know is that the general manager of the New York Knicks had a daughter who was a teacher in my dad's school. And I said, you think the Knicks have internships? And he said, well, let me call Mr. Donovan and find out. And, uh, and sure enough, Mr. Donovan was a wonderful man and, and got me an internship for the Knicks. So wow. I got to work that, that last summer in college and uh, ended up working Patrick Ewing's draft, draft day and all. So it was, awesome. it was a pretty neat, pretty neat time. And how long was that internship? Was it just a just, short time or? Yeah, just, just yeah. the summer, but you got exposed to, you know, the Nick, there was a lot of excitement around it. Dave DeBusher was the general manager. Um, Dick McGuire was one of the assistant coaches. Now, back in those days when you were an intern, you know, job one when I got there was opening up the newspaper, the New York Post, the Daily News, Newsday, and literally cutting out the newspaper articles that had to do with the Knicks and the NBA and putting them in a book. And Dick McGuire, who was just a wonderful guy, you know, my nickname with him was Clipper. So wow. he'd, he'd come in, he'd come in every day and, 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 you know, ask Clipper what was going on in the, in the, in the world today. So great experience. You, so just being a part of that. Were you PR? Was it a PR type of internship or what, what did they have you doing other than clipping, clipping newspapers? Clipping and, uh, and, and, and sending out autographed pictures. That was about the extent of it. I'd love to tell you that it was deeper than that, Jason. I think I got to write Gerald Wilkins' bio for the for the guide. Uh, the but, guide. but your resume said that you interned for the New York Knicks, and that yeah. that was uh, mostly involved on draft day for for Patrick Ewing. So, <laughs> so, 
so so tell us about the the job at the Rut, at Rutgers there. I so think you, were, you know, the Scarlet, the Scarlet Club. Is that Scarlet right? Arm Club. So yeah, so it's 1985. I've got my internship with the Knicks. I should be hired by anybody. <laughs> I sent letters out to everybody in in pro sports, and had a collection of some of the most wonderful rejection letters that you could find. But there was a gentleman, and it bothers me to this day that I don't remember his name. But there was a gentleman from the National League who said, I don't have a job. Um, and again, that's when you had to mail letters and applications and oh, resumes. Yeah. And he sent me a letter back saying, I don't have a job, but I have an hour. If you want to come and meet me in New York, you know, call my secretary and schedule some time. And to this day, I make sure when kids ask if they, you know, can pick my brain or have a call or get together, I do it because of what he did for me. And, and his advice, two pieces of advice from him. One, number one was try to try to go work at a college because there are a lot more colleges than there are pro teams. Yeah. Um, and number two is learn how to generate revenue. If it's in your DNA, get into sales or some area where you can bring in revenue so that you are a revenue line and you're never an expense line and you will then be in control of your destiny. And it was the greatest advice, you know, that some 21 year old kid could give you could give someone. And here we are, you know, just a couple of years later. And, uh, and I live that advice every day. Yeah. It's, it's, that's great advice. I mean, if you can always tie back your, your job into how is it helping the company grow and revenue, you're usually going to be fairly protected even during, during those down times. But if Question. you're like a luxury to have, like you kind of have to go, Ooh, absolutely. How's, how long is my time? You know, there, there, there's no question, right? No, that's great. Great advice. Great advice. And what did they, what did they have you doing there at Rutgers? Yeah. So, so as soon as he, I had that meeting with him, um, I apologize for that. The, um, yeah, no, you're literally good. the next day I'm opening up the, the Nork star ledger and looking in the classified section. You're like, and, I'm really good at this. I, yes. <laughs> this is, I did an internship. Of looking at yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I should have clipped out the ad too. The um, I see I see a job posting for a fundraiser at Rutgers. Yeah. So everything he just said to me yesterday, um, and and I was very fortunate because the gentleman who was hiring and it was in the annual fund it had nothing to do with athletics. Was the former basketball coach at Rutgers, um, and was the gentleman who hired an assistant coach out of a New Jersey high school um, named, named Dick Vitale. So, nice. uh, so he, uh, so the fact that I had worked for the Knicks, you know, uh, and knew some people at Rutgers, you know, he helped me get, get an interview. And my job was right out of the blocks was I was just a assistant director of the annual fund. So trying to help raise annual dollars for the university. But what I did once I got there was I knew I wanted to be in athletics so I worked hard on networking with people and most importantly, making sure that I was, you know, those typical things, first person in the office, last person out, what can I do to, to help? So uh, I was in the annual fund for about a year. Luck, luck happens. Um, there were a couple of people ahead of me that just happened to leave within the first six months that I were there for new jobs. And they gave me, uh, they gave me, they, they pointed to a building across campus and they were starting a capital fund. And they said, listen, we have an empty building and we've got a budget for you. We need you to go raise $10 million for the university. You're going to go hire 50 student callers. You're going to hire an assistant. You're going to hire a, a, a data processor um, and, and go, go do it. Um, so at that time, I'm 22, 23 years old. Huge so, opportunity. Unbelievable. Yeah. To start, essentially start my own business, if you will. Um, start with the infrastructure from from everything from meeting with a phone company to hiring the team and training them. And, and so that was really neat. That was, yeah. that really helped elevate me. But then I, I kept networking with athletics in the hopes that I could get over there. And sure enough, the assistant AD for, uh, for development, he and I had a connection uh, and uh, we just, just our backgrounds were very similar, different parts of the country. He played football at Notre Dame. I tried to play football at Purdue at least for <laughs> seven, seven minutes. Um, our dads were educators. To this day, he's, he's one of my closest friends in the world, and uh, and he offered me an opportunity to work with him. So I was I worked with him, and we did all the fundraising for Rutgers athletics. Um, and my focus tended to be more on the Olympic sports 
area of it and, and had a great four year run or so there. And then, then Mike Plazic is his name and Mike ended up becoming the athletic director at the university of Maine. You know, yeah. And, and I love, and we'll, we'll transition to the university of Maine here, but I want to kind of touch on a point, like how, how cool is that? I mean, you worked really hard now, now luck did happen. Some people moved. Those are things that you couldn't control, but the work ethic that you showed during that, during that time as, you know, first coming on in those six months with, with Rutgers to give them the trust to say, Hey, I want you to go raise $10 million. Here's go hire 50 students. Here's a data analyst. Like they had to have really trusted and saw your work ethic and seen that in order to like, go. Hey, Mike, we're trusting in you in this. So I think the the learning from that is put yourself in a position and work so that when a, when luck does strike, you are the one that they choose to come up and, and do that, right? Oh, 100%. And, and, and I think the other lesson I learned too was also give that same trust to people that you know have that same DNA as you go through your career. Yeah. Somebody gave you a chance. And so you've got to be able to do the same and trust your team underneath you. Love that. Love that. Cool. Yeah. So let's talk University of Maine. Go, the go University. On to that. That, was a, that was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Uh, was the assistant AD for, for development. But as, and Maine's an interesting place because from folks like Kevin White um, to Ian McCaw, who's the AD at Liberty, I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah, I think a man. I think a man, and I'm like, I, I need a lobster roll or something, right? <laughs> yeah, there's no question. <laughs> but the, the number of people that have gone through that department um, is is pretty impressive list. So we get up there, you know, there was a lot of great things in place because Kevin White had been the athletic director, and and honestly, I saw the highs and the lows of, of college athletics. I mean, we won a national championship in, in hockey with what I would argue is was the finest. And to this day is the finest college hockey team ever uh, led by Paul Correa. The team was 42, one and two, um, just an unbelievable record, an unbelievable time. The people in the state of Maine are, are passionate people and prideful people. So you put all of that together and it's a great chance to go and raise and raise some money. And at the same time, um, you know, my, at that point, my aspirations was to be an athletic director at, at a, at a large division one school at some point in time. And, Mike, Mike was good enough, the AD, to give me chances to, you know, have a couple of sports report to me and get into scheduling. And then when Ian McCaw, who's the AD, as I said, at Liberty, when Ian left, gave me a chance to take on more in the external affairs department, which is when I first started to sell sponsorships um, and, and learn about the whole sponsorship world. So, again, I'm 28, 27, 28 years yeah. old. Three so kids. Sports, so you had some sports you oversaw, but then you were on the external relations side. So you were able to kind of work on the sponsorship sales piece. And so here, I, I always like to ask this when, when you first get into sponsorship, tell us about that first sponsorship deal that you ever, that you ever closed. Like, what was it like? What kind of assets did you put into it? What, tell a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you two stories. The, the, the one was, um, and it was a learning experience, right? Because when, and this is why, you know, to this day, there aren't many institutions that, that do it in-house because yeah. I'm a 27, 20 year old kid who has no idea what he's doing. Um, now I was a fundraiser. Yep. So when I look back at what that approach was then, it was a fundraising approach. It was a glorified fundraising gift that came with some signs and some tickets and some radio spots. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, as opposed to being where we are today in this industry and really thinking about how if you do it right, let me let me help you move the needle. Don't get rid of the don't get rid of the passionate fundraising piece on the local deals, the, the you know, the heartstrings component of yeah. you really believe in that platform. But boy, wouldn't it be pretty cool if you could support the program that you love that's so important in this state and this community, but then also benefit your business from it. So I wasn't thinking about part B. I was really selling it, you know, that first way. And then the other thing I learned about in a, in a, in a really interesting way was at the time, Maine did not have one pouring rights partner. You know, 90 whatever percent, 99 percent of the universities today, they have Coke or Pepsi. Yeah. Essentially. And Maine didn't have Coke or Pepsi. They had Coke and Pepsi. And, and I tried 
to explain to the president at the time and his leadership team how critically important it would be financially to have one. So you'll appreciate the story. So I, I bring in a friend who's, who's the head of the Coke distributorship up there. And I said, do me a favor. Don't wear red. Don't yeah. say the word Coke. I want you just to explain to them the value proposition of picking one. And it came down to this, a, a little simple math equation. He said, if you have Coke and you have Pepsi, we will each give you a dollar. If you pick one of us, one of us will give you five dollars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so to me, that was a really important lesson because as you know, when I we get later sounds on. Like a, like, sounds like a kid's storybook teaching. It, how it, to- it is. <laughs> but, you know, where, where Nelligan went and where Van Wagner is and really leveraging um, and, and taking taking the campus-wide business opportunities beyond the world of pouring rights and applying that platform and the passion and the business-to-business components that a company can have, as well as the annuity, essentially, that the company buys yeah. because young students are making their lifetime brand loyalty choices at that moment in time. That equation works. So it's funny that I look back 30 years ago and think about, wow, that was uh, – and that was an important first step. By the way, at the t- time, they stayed with both. <laughs> the five dollars didn't. Oh, man. It didn't. Some at all. <laughs> he needed to be. He needed to be ten dollars to every one dollar. No uh, doubt. It never ceases to amaze me some of some of the red tape and the challenges that you have at some of the universities, and kind of explain to some of that. But absolutely. And one of the things too, I think that was cool about you know that that experience was. And this is true, I think, to this day in the in the group of five level, the FCS level, the, um, you know, the, the, the basketball centric level, take power five and put them over here and, and some others, too, that are. But when you're uh, when you're an administrator in some of those programs, you do it all. You have to do it all. Yep. Um, you know, I, I'm surprised I probably came pretty close once or twice to actually having to help line the field. But the experience that you get, you know, sports information reported to me, I got to do scheduling. I was the sponsor person. I was the fundraising person. Um, I was the, uh, the, the, the athletic store reported into me. I mean, all these different areas, I think, gives you a breadth of experience and knowledge that as I look back now, um, I go, wow, if, if I had started my career at a power five and Lord knows there would have been wonderful benefits of that. Sure. But I don't think I would have had the breadth of experience on the revenue generation side and what this is really all about as much as I did. Thanks to, thanks to Rutgers and Maine. Yeah. And it gives you, it just gives you that much more, you know, opportunity in the future, the more that you can do at a young age to be able to, whether it's painting the lines to selling sponsorships, like just gives you that much breadth of, of knowledge. That's, that's awesome. When, when did you first feel like, is this when you felt like this sponsorships is kind of what I gravitate toward and what I enjoyed doing? When, when did that happen in your Yeah. When I, when I couldn't, when I couldn't get into law school, no, (laughs) it went, you know what? I just, I just, I, I I love the people I love to sell. I mean, that is, I said earlier when that gentleman, the national league said, is it in your DNA? Yeah. Yeah. Because, because if it isn't right, sales is a tough, business yeah yep. if you're not passionate about it if you don't love it yeah. um you know i don't know if you ever wrestled in your life but there's probably no worse practice session than being in a wrestling room and i can't think of it anything worse than being in a wrestling room if you don't want to wrestle you know it's and 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 i think of that for early on through the sales pro i'm not talking about your first you know your your introduction to sales when it's hard for everybody but, but it needs to light a fire. And I did. I just loved, I loved the relationships. I love closing deals. Um, and that's when I knew that that was, that was the area that, that I would, I would thrive in. I love that. Yeah. When you made that analogy, I thought of all the, the young kids trying out for football that didn't know what they were doing and they had all the pads on. And when they get hit for the first time, they're like, Absolutely. Wait a second, I didn't sign up for this. And then they yeah. all started, <laughs> Where's the flag? Can't you just pull the flag on me? Pull the flag. I just got leveled. Uh, that's <laughs> awesome. That's a great analogy. Yeah. And so after Maine, you spent like five or so years there. And then um, you, you became the president of Athletic uh, Advantage. 
Um, Which was my own business. Is that, that your was my business own business there? Okay. So you started yeah. your own business. And what did you do? Was it an agency? Were you helping other organizations? Was it a sponsorship specific? Yeah, you know, it was an interesting story. So, so I told you we had the highs at Maine, which was national championships. We also had some lows with some yeah. NCA violations that had occurred. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, and the the AD at the time was, as I said, is a dear dear friend. And I saw what he went through, and you know, I'm, I'm you know I think I had just blown out thirty candles. Yeah. I've got a wife and three kids. If I was going to continue on that path, I wanted to be the AD at, you know, Purdue or wherever. Right. Um, and so that was going to require a commitment from the entire family about moving. Yeah. And that's what my friend had done. And when I saw what happened there, and maybe it's because I'm a salesperson and I like to be in control of my own destiny. Yeah. Sometimes you're not in control of your own destiny when you're sitting in that chair, you know, uh, you know, a coach, makes a wrong decision, you know, a donor makes a wrong decision, uh, you know, things like that. Pointing, they start pointing fingers at other places, right? Too. There's no question. There's yeah. no question. Um, so I wasn't as happy as I was prior. And my wife, who I give all the credit in the world to any success that I've had. Um, she was a nurse and she said, listen, you always wanted your own business. I'll go back to work. Let's move back to New Jersey and why don't you start your own business? So, you know, I grew up in that small town, I told you, where everybody, you know, my dad's the principal and, you know, all that great stuff. And I'm moving in, my dad had passed at that point, but I'm moving into my mom's house with my wife and my three kids Yeah. to start a business. And you talk about gut check. You talk about- Humility. 100%, Jason. I mean, it, it, it was a- I was not going to let, and, and trust me, they don't know I heard, but I heard the Snickers, right, from, sure. boy, you know, and, and so there was a fire that burned in me to make sure that, that I had great success at it. And I, like I said, I gave the credit to my mom, you know, because she, the thought of your son and his wife and three kids moving in, while it might sound good, um, yeah. you know, she made every day seem like a blessing, you know, her, the blessing we were giving her. Uh, you know, my, my wife, I told you about uh, one of my sisters who's been incredibly successful CEO of, of multiple businesses and whatnot. You know, she, she goes, here's a check, you know, cause I was making all of 42, five at Maine. So I did not start this business with, uh, you know, with a lot of money. Yeah. No. And so here's the check, go get an office, get your, get furniture, get a computer, do this the right way. And, and through that, and, and that's exactly what. I was doing a media rights business, consulting and multimedia rights business on the marketing side, selling sponsorships, you know, you name it, and, and was making it work and was working pretty well and uh, was really happy, but got a phone call from the National Football Foundation and College Hall of Fame and what I thought was going to be a consulting opportunity. Yeah, um, say, that's probably what went through your head at first. Like, all right, yeah, let me help you. 100%. So what I found out is that um, they were looking for a full-time person to raise money for the very first time, other than they have a, a big dinner at the Waldorf every year, which now this year moved to Vegas. But that was pretty much the big revenue. And they have a membership program. It's a wonderful organization that promotes amateur football across America. And listen, you know, and I thought it was going to be pretty cool because, A, I love the game. Um, so it didn't matter what size you are. You learn from the game when you play yep. it. Number two is the board of directors were people such as Archie Manning, George Steinbrenner, CEOs of Coke and Merrill Lynch, Roy Kramer. I mean, you talk about a Hall of Fame group of captains of industry, and I would have the chance to report directly to them through the president. Bob Cassiola was a wonderful man, um, and he exposed me to all of that. It wasn't, hey, let me know what I need to tell them about you and what we're doing in fundraising. And I said to my wife, I go, listen, not to, I don't want to give up on my dream. I have my own business. But if I don't do this, if I do this, this will take it to another level. It'll take my relationships to another level. It'll, it'll, it'll help us tremendously. And it did. It was, a, it was a wonderful time raising money, starting programs. We started a program called Play It Smart. A gentleman by the name of Alex Kroll, who was a Hall of Famer at Rutgers and was, was actually CEO of Young and Rubicam. It was a program where we took the lessons of football and brought them to the inner cities. 
So just because you play football in the inner city doesn't mean you lose the benefits if we don't focus on them. So we hired academic coaches. We made, we made this, the, the student athletes had a pledge that they were going to do so much community service. They were going to spend time at study hall. They were going to make a difference uh, in their life and others' lives. And the positive success of that program um, in terms of the number of young people who ended up going to college, you know, from going from typically single digits on the seniors to 75, 80, 85% of the seniors going on to college, you know, that again was just a incredibly fulfilling time for me. It's also where I got to meet Jim Host from Host Communications. Yeah. Yeah. Because Jim, Jim was, Jim was on the board and, and became a, became a dear to this day as a dear friend. And we entered into a relationship for host communications to sell the sponsorships for the college football hall of fame, which at the time was in South Bend. So you helped bring host in the national football foundation, of the college hall of fame, right? That's and right. So you outsourced to, to host. To outsourced. Okay. I got to be a client. I got to sit on the other side and see what worked and didn't, I mean, didn't work and, and, and try to build that program together. Yeah. And the, you know, one of the, one of the things, the benefits that came with that is the president of host sports was a gentleman at the time by the name of TJ Nelligan and TJ and I negotiated a large part of that deal and developed a fast friendship. And it was, it was, gosh, Jason, I'm not sure if it was a year in um, host sold for the first or second of many times, yeah, as yeah. we all know, um, yeah, very much TJ, so. went, TJ went on his own to start in elegant sports. I remember actually showing him some space at the national football foundation office Maybe he could start and rent some space from us. Uh, turns out, you know, nine months later, he asked me to join his team as a VP. Uh, I ran the sales at Rutgers for the first six or nine months, and then he elevated me to to running all of sales. And then, you know, how thanks many, to him. How many schools at that point did Nelligan? So once host sold, he said, hey, I want to start Nelligan Sports, which is, you know, for the listeners, that's that's another multimedia rights company that is since been sold. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a second, but how many properties did he start off with? Were they, did he have to start fresh? Did he pull some over from the host side? Like what, how, how did that transition take place? DJ would be a great person to put on this, on your podcast because he's, he's, we'll have he's one of the great salesmen of all time. Yeah. He's one of the great salesmen of all time. Yeah. Somehow not only did he get to leave and without, you know, with a non-compete going away, That's he's amazing. allowed to take, take a handful of schools with him. So so he, he started with, you know, a handful of schools in the Northeast primarily wow. and um, and built it from there. So we had, you know, five, six schools by the time I got there. So you had, some, we revenue, had, the, you had some revenue coming <laughs> from that. Had some revenue, yeah. you know, didn't have a lot of profit, um, you know, and that's where, again, I give TJ all the, you know, all the credit because, you know, TJ put his, his money on the line to start that with, yeah. you know, with a wife and kids um, and, uh, we grew and, and built that business in a very different way than all the competitors at the time. And there were a lot of them, right? There was ISP, there was Host, there was Learfield, um, there was CBS uh, was doing this. And our, our model was very different. Um, so we, we, we had much more of a partnership mindset with the institutions and wanted to be- was a it's way more rev share. It was, it was, it was where you find that people are rowing the boat in the same direction. You know, that, that business is, everything's not as much rev share as it used to be. Um, and, and part of it was just because of the competition. Let's be honest. You go back, you know, 20 years ago, the bulk of the schools were not outsourcing. Yeah. So it was, it was much simpler at that time to get that model. You know, but it's it's interesting, right? Life comes full circle. Then there was the mad dash to try to acquire properties, and everybody is outbidding, outbidding each other, and and that's what sometimes many that's times the right fees got out of control. Like a lot of right fees just are astronomical, multiple millions of dollars. It's just no question. And doing right, if you guess right as the multimedia rights holder, good for you. You're going to make a lot of money on it. Um, yeah. If you guess wrong, good luck. But you're not you're not together. You know, you are sometimes because of relationships and there's a lot of good people in this industry, but you know, I want to, I want everyone in the huddle yeah. to be trying to get to the same goal. 
and it's hard to do that. Not the athletic department versus the MMR company, right? Or whoever it is. Absolutely. If it's us versus them, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging. I'm seeing people are now realizing that there are some real benefits to that model, especially after COVID and the effects that that had on, on some of these guarantees and whatnot. I think it's, you know, the light is, is starting to come on again saying, Hey, wait a minute, let's be careful what you, what you wish for at times. Yeah, for sure. You know, as far as with, with Nelligan, how quickly did you grow? You were with the organization for nearly 14 years. Like how did it scale? How did you really grow that, that company as a partner and senior executive of, of Nelligan sports? You know, I, I think it was, it was, too, it, it always comes down. And I'm sure Jason, the same is true with you and, and yeah. your career. You know, it's about surrounding yourself with really great people who share your work ethic, who share, you know, your, your values. And we had some tremendous people and the pace that we grew was quick, but deliberate. And so what it ended up allowing were when we were ready to start to scale and grow bigger and have more people with more responsibilities, we got to pick from our team because superstars rose. Yeah. General managers who crushed it, we had the opportunity, who knew how we sell and how we operate. It was a natural fit to move them to VP roles and have them work and sell with other properties in their geographic footprint. And so that was, to me, was one of the most important things because, to me, there's nothing worse than a sales manager. And at the end of the day, no matter what we say, that we're multimedia rights, we're this, we're sales managers, right? We're selling, we're generating revenue. Um, and, and so it's hard to do that well from a management perspective if, A, you haven't done it on your own, and B, if you're still not doing it. We believed at that time, and we still do here at Van Wagner, that the best way to teach people is to show them. And I don't mean in a classroom. Yeah. I mean, lock yourself in a room and do cold calling together. You know, go on first pitches together, close deals together. Even more important, lose deals together. And then and have honest dialogue, not just with the person that is reporting to you, but with yourself to be able to have that kind of feedback going, hey, you know what? I forgot. I didn't I didn't do this. Or maybe if I did this better or you did this better, or we did this better, we could have had the deal closed. So that was, I think, really was the culture, quality of the people, the work ethic, all of that aligned um, during a really interesting time in the world. Of, of college sports. And then when the financial crisis hit, because like I said earlier, one of the things that differentiated us was our ability to do campus-wide deals. Yeah. And when, when the economy is good, right? When tuition's coming in, the state's giving money back to the state schools, people are writing checks. You tend to not do things that make you uncomfortable, right? And just don't, just don't run the boat into the dock. Just figure out how to, how to, how to keep it going. Yeah. Um, when the financial crisis hit, it forced presidents to think differently that, hmm, so you're telling me we can take the pouring rights model and apply that to managed print, to apply that to waste management, healthcare, insurance? And the answer is yes. And, and doing it in a way that is, provides even more transparency than the way it's traditionally done. Right? I go back to my days at Maine. I, didn't, I wasn't able to negotiate an office supply deal, but I saw that W.B. Mason truck drive by the window, so I'm calling W.B. Mason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so by doing it together and collectively and then focusing on what that company, A, what that company could do for the institution as a whole, and I don't mean just writing a check. I'm saying what can an association with a company in a category do to further enhance what we're here for, which is the student experience, education. Are there things that we can do by aligning with a company that can provide internships, scholarship support? Are there any sort of research um, collaboration type of opportunities that can happen? Are there better services in healthcare or whatnot that can enhance the, the experience, A, for our students, B, for faculty, staff, B and C kind of close, or the alumni group or the, or the larger community? And so that's when we really skyrocketed because the success we had in those years right after that really took us to a different level. And then that allowed us to get up to 40 university partnerships 
right in that last two or three years, it took us to a, just a different level. And that was also the perfect timing when, when private equity was starting to. The cool thing about those types of partnerships, the ones where you've got the copier company or something, you know, and you're, you're looking at how they can benefit from the whole, the whole school. Um, and you just nailed on all those like internships, um, give, giving back, um, just, just a lot of different ways that they can help to help the university, you know, that way. But, um, the cool thing about those are that both win, right? Because, right. because there's the, there's the dollar amounts, there's the internships, there's all the other benefits that can come to the university by partnering, truly using the term partner, right. With, yep. with, with these companies, but these companies also are, are receiving dollars back and hard ROI that they can see because of the relationship that they have with the university, because they're purchasing their services, right. And, and growing their business and they can use the marks and logos that say, Hey, we are the official printer of the, of the main, right. Or, or whoever it is. And, and there is strong value in that and that association and, and that's why I actually really love those partnerships because they're a lot deeper, you know, they are marketing and advertising like sponsorship definitely is not a, a transactional type of, of, of relationship. I mean, there's so right. many, there's so many assets. Yes. You got to sign and you got to put it up and there's the exposure there, but there's so many other like intricacies to a sponsorship especially ones like this, that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in between to make sure that both parties are, are uh, getting the benefit. On no, no, it's funny you say that, Jason, because when we're in those meetings with the decision makers on the university level and we say, think about all the ways this company can benefit the institution, we then ask part B of the question is, turn your hat the other way. Now, yeah. what can we do for them? Yeah. How do we help them grow their business? They're like, wait and, a second, we have to do what? <laughs> right. You know, I think the example is the former fundraiser. You know, as a fundraiser, I said, I, I started my career with my hand out. Um, and yeah. then as I got into this world, I realized, you know, if you just turn that hand a little bit and it becomes a handshake, you can actually get a lot more done at a whole different level. And that's the mentality that it takes that allows the tr it not to be transactional because the old way that they would do those deals and especially in pouring rights is, well, what's our profit margin? If we sell X number of bottles and Y amount of syrup each year, what's the profit we make? How much are we willing to give back? No, take this as an authentic platform and, and, and let's amplify that message throughout a community that actually really, really cares about what the university tells them. Yeah. You know, and that's where it, it that that's where the fun really happens. So let's talk private equity. Yes with selling uh, Nelligan uh, to Learfield. Um, and many know IMG and Learfield merged, you know, a few, few years ago as well. Um, but prior to that, Learfield was on their own and IMG was on their own and you and, and Learfield uh, purchased Nelligan Sports. Talk about that, for lack of a better term, merger that way. No, it was, it was an interesting time because I think, I think TJ was up to that point, maybe for maybe about a year we had a bunch of private equity firms reaching out to us about selling and, and they were spending a lot of money Yeah, and it became interesting to him. And we probably entertained a couple. And the last one that did not happen. And by the way, the presentation was the day of Superstorm Sandy, which devastated our, you know, you live on the beach on the Jersey shore. It was devastating. Um, and, and I'm in St. Louis with TJ and our partners pitching well, I'm making sure that the house doesn't float away. That when that didn't happen, the irony is we all said enough. You know what? We got something good here. We all care about each other. We're having fun. No more conversations about selling. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, weeks later, Greg Brown picks up the phone and calls TJ. And <laughs> this one just felt different because it was a strategic partner. You know, it was somebody who was in the space and, and Learfield's, you know, Greg built a, and his team built a great company, great reputation. So it was important that we all felt good about where whoever was going to stay landed. And and, and it felt good at the time. Um, so that sale happened. Um, I wasn't sure at that moment in time, to be honest with you, what I wanted to do. I was I was fortunate enough, thanks to TJ, to have choices. 
Um, so I initially, but without any commitment, I didn't, I didn't have on my, I was out of my non-compete. Um, and, and I went and spent some time with Learfield and really liked them and respected them, but they had their own thing going. They had a different model. They had a different philosophy. And they had uh, executive and I, leadership too. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So had some real good, you know, Greg was, was always kind and generous and we'd love you to stay. But I'm like, you know what? I just don't, don't think it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and truly at that moment, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was going to go back and work on the wheel on the boardwalk, you know. You're going to go um, about newspapers. Yeah, absolutely. Clipper. Clipper. <laughs> <The> return of Clipper. <laughs> It got, it got, and at that point, I could I could afford really nice slippers too. Yeah, exactly. um, I looked at everything. I looked at do I want to go back and be an athletic administrator and, and called a bunch of friends, including you know Bubba Cunningham at at, uh, at North Carolina, who's a dear friend, gave me great advice. I, I thought about doing my own thing. I thought about uh, my little hometown is also the 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 founding home of Jersey Mike Subs and and Peter Cancro, who the founder is is like a brother. He wanted me to come and join Jersey Mike's and, you know, help sell franchises and whatnot. So at the end of the day, what I really realized is I, I loved what I did and I loved my team and I was going to start my own business again. Um, and so because Van Wagner, which has been in business for 50 years, has been in sports now for 30. But um, a lot of folks know Van Wagner without knowing Van Wagner. Because we were the first company to bring in rotating courtside signage in the U.S. back in the in, back in the early '90s, um, we are the creators of the All-State Field Goal Net program. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I had Van I, I had Van Wagner relationships at all 40 schools. So when I was going to start my business, first call was to Van Wagner. Hey, I want to do the same deal that we had. Uh, what I didn't realize at the time, and Van Wagner was the largest privately held out of outdoor billboard company in America. Uh, Richard Schaps, the founder, is an incredibly successful and generous and good man um, and built that company from nothing. Sold it twice. Um, the second time was the day I started at Van Wagner. So uh, I walk into Champagne and Confetti. And everybody's like, like, wow, this is a really nice way to, to welcome me to the team. And it turned out I actually got there a day late. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But You're they like, were. Dude, they, it's a week earlier or something, you know. Something, just something. Just something. <laughs> um, what, what, I what I quickly realized was they wanted to go hard in sports. You know, he, was, he wasn't going to be in, out, in outdoor for a while. We're back. He had a non-compete in that area. Yeah. But he had that door in a business since the 90s. Van Wagner then had purchased a, an incredible productions company that has grown. So we are the premier in stadium, in arena productions company for the for the biggest sporting events in the world. We have done, if you've been to a Super Bowl, um, we've done the last 37 Super Bowls with everything that's going on. We do every NCAA championship, all the video production and the presentation of the game essentially is all Van Wagner. Kentucky Derby, Olympics. Uh, U.S. Open. It, it goes on and on and on. Uh, and then they have an insights group that does naming rights valuation and asset architecture. So I had a great meeting with them. They called me the next day and said, is there any chance you'd do this with us? And now they had always been Switzerland because they always sold into all the multimedia rights companies. Yeah. But that aggregation created national sales teams for IMG at the time and for Learfield and now for one. Um, so while they still do, we still do a lot of great business with them. It wasn't what it used to be. So the necessity to be Switzerland didn't exist anymore. And I thought long and hard about it because I wanted my own thing, but I quickly realized that it's nice to have we, partners. Could, yeah, we could just be, we could be such a full service um revenue and marketing solution for universities that shame on me if I didn't do it. Um, and so we started in 2014, started with, with two other people, both came from that Mark Donnelly, who was the, he was our chief revenue officer and is, is, is the finest, hardest working person you would ever find in sponsorship sales. He's the guy you should have on Jason. If you don't have a real educated conversation, there's nobody better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Diana Lapore, who's our VP of Marketing and Operations, and 
then we ended up being able to bring in our finance. So all four of us who were going to start our own business ended up at Van Wagner. And, and in, you know, we're now in seven, a little over seven years, you know, we've had, we've had a lot of fun despite COVID and growing the business. Yeah. And what, what has the journey been like the last eight years? So you started it. I mean, really the college division of Van Wagner is eight years old, roughly, you know, so so what, what's the journey been like? Cause listen, eight years and you're at nearly 40 properties. I mean, you're in the, in the thirties there, but you're knocking on the, you're knocking on the door uh, of 40 properties here. So what's that journey been like? That's, that's some pretty massive growth. I mean, eight years, nearly 40 properties. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. It is. And it doesn't happen if we weren't able to bring on folks. I just mentioned Greg Barron, who's our chief accounting officer. Um, Jason Capel, who was an elegant person, is yeah. our, is our senior vice president who runs the East coast for us. Mark Devine, who was a partner at elegant sports runs our campus wide business. Yeah. So, um, to me, the most fulfilling part of the story isn't just that we've been able to grow a, a, you know, a very, I would argue, the fastest organically grown multimedia rights company since the initial boom of everybody, you know, nobody having their rights yeah. uh, out at the time, um, is because of them. I mean, they are to not have to try to educate um, everyone that you need to scale with. It, it allowed us to grow faster than during the Nelligan time because, heck, you know, TJ was teaching us all what to do. And so there had to be this evolution of building up the people that could handle and who you trusted with the responsibility of growing out divisions and regions. So um, that's been that's been the best part. We're so different. Surround yourself with greatness, man. You know, it's so, so good. You have the you have the idea. You have the connections. Just surround yourself with good people that want to work hard and, and have the team set men- mentality. It sounds like that's what you guys have done. No, we don't. And, and, and we, we all say this, I say this every day is, is, is my job and everybody's job is to make your job irrelevant, make you irrelevant. Yeah. Um, if you surround yourself, like you said, with Jason, with people who are better than you, um, you know what? It's next, it's next man or woman up, yeah. you know? And, and that's what we've been able to do. And what separates you from, like the Learfield IMGs of the world and, and, and the other, you know, multimedia rights holder companies that are out there. What, what separates you from, from those? You know, it's, it's, it's a great question. And, and they're all good companies and they all have good, they, good they stores. Are. You have your own yeah. little niches of how, how, yeah. you, how you approach business. I, I think our, what we wanted to do was when I, when I look at like top 10 or 12 people in the senior leadership team, um, 80% of us were former college administrators, two former athletic directors. Um, all of us worked for a, a different, whether it was whether it was Nelligan, whether it was ISP, Learfield, IMG, you name it. We've worked for essentially every major multimedia rights firm that's been in existence in some capacity over the last 20 years. What we did was we wanted to build a model and a philosophy that took the best of everything we learned sitting in those two very different seats. Mm-hmm. So... As, as a former, you know, athletic administrator, if I'm going to have a multimedia rights partner, what's important? Um, what do I think is, is lacking in the space that we could, we could provide that makes us different from somebody else? And vice versa. If we're sitting in our multimedia rights firm, you know, what are, we, what are we looking for in our university partners to make sure that we can be successful as well? And, and the things that came up were, you know, certainly people are looking for some financial assurances. There's no question about that, that that's important. Two um, is transparency. So the traditional model is we'll give you X, we keep Y, hmm. and then we'll share when we get to Z. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we wanted to be transparent so folks knew exactly where our dollars were being spent. We wanted to be transparent where you know exactly what every sponsorship is. You see every agreement. We, we, we have to get the blessing before we sell a deal to make sure it matches what you want your institution to reflect with assets and presentation and whatnot. We really wanted to be an extension of the institution. We want to be, if you look at all the reasons somebody might consider bringing it in-house with all of the necessities on why you outsource and you put those two together, that's who we've tried to become. And most people, let's be honest, like it's like anything else in life. You're motivated in many ways or you act in many ways based on what your financial offering is. Yeah. 
So if, if you're getting a big check, but you know there is no chance that you're ever gonna see revenue share, unless other than being a good person, are you gonna dive on the grenade for your multimedia rights partner to try to get one more thing done? Yeah. Are you gonna to go to cross campus and try to get a campus-wide deal done? No, you've got enough things to worry about. There's, if you're the, there's skin in the game at that point. There is. Yeah. And if you're the multimedia rights partner and, and you feel like you're overpaying, and you've got no chance to break even, you're, you're probably cutting some costs. And, and so is any of that the solution that anyone is looking for? And, and listen, I, you know, I'd be pretending if I said every, you know, we all have the model, but I think that's what's made us different. Yeah. And we're nimble. We're nimble. We're a large company with great resources, but we're still small enough that we're nimble. And, and, and we create partnerships based on what each individual institution's needs are. It's not just a cookie cutter approach. Now you've been, you've been successful, you know, over your entire career, you know, from, from Ben Wagner today, Danelle again to, you know, Rutgers and, and Maine. And, and so o- over that time, and you've hit record setting growth, I think almost everywhere you went, you've, you've done that. And, and what do you attribute that to? I know you've touched on team, you know, and things like that, but what do you, what do you attribute just from you personally, like that, that drive to, to be able to, to hit a lot of those uh, milestones. What do you attribute all of this to? You know, um, mom and dad, you know, I mean, you know, that's, and if you really go back to the beginning, that's what it was about. You know, my parents' entire life was about our entire life and making us, um, making us want to be the best, whoever we are, be the best you, um, my dad, who's the educator, said, I don't care if you want to be, you know, pick a, pick a job. I don't care if you want to collect trash. But if you do, you better be the best trash person collector that you can be. Like, that was the mentality. So I think a lot of it started there. Um, I'm incredibly inspired. I was inspired by my coaches growing up. Um, I have a wife who's ridiculously committed and successful, has a PhD, has always has always done everything, everything, Right. You know, when people say, well, it's hard to be a, a great mom as well as have a career and get educated, she did it all. Um, and, 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 you know, when you have kids, you know, you, it's on you. It's just like before when I said the best way to teach people how to sell is to, be, is to go sell with them. The best way to teach your kids how to grow up is to show them, you know. So yeah. I think all those things just are the end of the day is what it comes down to. I love that. Just starting from the beginning. Yeah. Cause I look back even, you know, my, my mom and dad too, right. Of just like instilling in you that work ethic and, and, uh, and living up to the family name too, of like, not, dis- not, not disappointed from where, from where you come from. Right. A hundred percent. Couple other, couple other questions I have, like from, uh, you know, you being in the sponsorship world and seeing, you know, both, both brands and properties be able to collaborate on so many different levels of sponsorships. What do you feel like are, are like the most key, you know, elements or assets of a partnership that, that both a a property needs to get out of it, you know, from a brand and, and vice versa too. I mean, you know, on the property side, you always say, listen to the brand. Right. And, and when I, when I sat on the brand side for a decade, you know, I looked at it and I was like, Hey, I need to get X, Y, and Z so that I can report back on here's the ROI that we're getting out of this. Small right, project. right, right. And 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 if you know what my my the pillars are that I need to hit, then you're going to bring something to me that that we can do there. But in a true relationship, a property needs something out of the brand too, and the brand needs something out of the property. So knowing that and kind of that whole side of it over your thirty plus years of experience, like what what do you feel? like needs to, needs to be in any sponsorship deal? You know, it's, um, and I, and it's, it's probably easier for me to answer with the last 20 years of being in this multimedia rights space. What we say is our job is to fully understand um, the values, the mission and how the institute, the university or the conference, because we represent almost 10 conferences or 10 conferences. We do represent 10 conferences. Um, (laughs) How will they define success? How do you define success of this corporate partners program we're building? What are you looking for? We understand dollars, but let's let's talk about that. What does that need to look like? What about the other ancillary benefits? Are you are you in a in a in a, 
a state where your frustration is that, yeah, you're selling sponsorships, but nobody's promoting those sponsorships outside the four walls of campus. Like what, what, what are you looking for? How, how important is it to drive it back to the students and to the Tell me everything. Then that's A, right? B is with every sponsor and they're all different, you need to understand and ask them, not assume that you know, how will they define success? Yeah. What's going to be in, when, when we sit down next year and you want to extend this for five years because we know you're going to want to because it's going to work. What does it need to look like for you? And then our job is to put the two together. So it's a really basic, you know, and I sound like I'm running for office, um, <laughs> but it's very true. I mean, that's, and everyone will define success in different ways. And then you've got to consider that you have this palette of opportunities and it's not just signs and radio spots, right? It's association with the university. It's getting across campus and maybe doing some, not being so selfish about keeping all the dollars for athletics and your partnership, but should we really be trying to get in to student life? Should we be doing something, you know, with, with, with HR? Should we be doing something with faculty staff? Should we be doing something within the greater community? Yeah. What can we do to, to help both end up in, in what they would term as a successful marriage? And yeah. if we can do that, we have a business. Yeah. We have a business. Yeah. Love that. Obviously with the pandemic, there's light at the end of the tunnel here, right? With that and the future of sponsorships, what, what, what do you feel like the future of sponsorships is coming out of the pandemic from where we were before then to where we're going now? Where do you see, where do you see our industry going? You know, as long as we make sure that that light at the end of the tunnel is not a train that's coming our way, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. which I think we're pretty good right now. Yeah. I, I think this taught us a lot of things. Um, I think it refocused everybody on what's really important and what isn't important. Um, so I think in the immediate future, it's going to be, I'm going to answer it two ways. I'll probably contradict myself, by the way. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got a one side and then the other. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, um, you're, I'm not, now you're a true politician, right? Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> well, as we're getting more and more technically advanced and people are looking for ROI and really trying to quantify what happened, that's, that's going to continue to be more and more and more important. Yeah. But that's not everything. So relationship, um, how you're positioning yourself with the right platforms, making sure your sponsorship dollars are having an impact mm -hmm. on, on areas that need to be impacted that maybe are trailing behind or whatnot. Um, I think it's going to be that way. And if we focus on just one and not the other, there's a lot of money being spent in a lot of areas that have been underserved for a long, long time. And it should be. We've got to make sure as we're selling that as well, is, hey, let's make sure we're not just selling something, that we're doing something that's meaningful, but we are being proactive in our thought, in our execution, to make sure there's still an ROI. And if you can find that balance between purpose and results, then you're going to have, you're going to have phenomenal sponsorship programs. And I think that's, to me, ultimately, that's where it's going to be going. Yeah, I love that. No, thanks for sharing that. Hey, to, to end, here we are at the end. Thank you so much, Mike, for, for coming on. I have two questions that I ask all my guests that, that come on to, to the podcast to, to, to finish up. And the first one is, what makes you get up in the morning and do what you do? Um, my, my, my family. I mean, I love what I do, but, you know, yeah, I, just, I just, and with my family, I just don't mean my wife and my kids. And, you know, I, I, I mean my Van Wagner family, you know, the schools and the relationships that we have. Like, I love being out here in Vegas right now for all these basketball tournaments, right? To see, to, to see Gloria, the commissioner of the West Coast Conference last night, to be able to give, be able to give somebody a hug again, you know, and shake hands and, and do all that good thing. There are a lot of really good people in this space. And as long as we don't lose what college sports, you know, get nervous about it, is supposed to be about and the lessons and all that good stuff, there's a lot of really great things that we're doing with some real purpose. So I like that what we sell, I love to sell, but I do love to the fact that what we sell drives dollars that ends up going and helping educate kids and hopefully we'll make a long-term difference. So that's, that's what gets me up. Another long answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. The, the, sec this, the second one is, if you were listening to this podcast 20 years ago, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? 
Well, that was that's a really, really, really good question. You know, it, 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 it's it's funny. It's probably be two things. Well, you want to have your eye on the goal, whatever that goal is. Don't forget about the steps and and be purposeful in your steps to get to that goal. I think too often now in this culture of immediate satisfaction and return that everyone's looking for, a lot of folks just want to, and I want to be there, right? Yeah. I want to be there. Um, you learn so much along the way that don't take shortcuts. Don't, don't, I wish, you know, I learned a little bit more about that and, and wasn't, you know, had that balance between where I want to be and where I am today. I think that would be the biggest, the biggest piece. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Mike. Mike Polisi, president of Van Wagner College. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and at the Sponsorship Space on LinkedIn and join our community if you're interested in learning more. Thanks and have a great day.